0: Not too many people engaged in health and healthcare quality improvement speak of the work as tedious or boring. If that's ever the case, it may be one elephant in the room folks would rather just leave alone. After all, and now I'm sticking my neck out, there's a certain nobility that goes along with QI, and the prospect of making a system function better for patients and providers is supposed to override whatever part of the reengineering process could be taxing or or test one's patients. But what if it's not so simple? What if it's helpful to open up this can of worms of exciting QI work and not so exciting in order to figure out what's the difference and most importantly to prevent some improvement initiatives from languishing? We're going to speak truth to improvement and we're glad you're here for this edition of WIHI and I want to welcome you to WIHI, we're an online audio talk show from the Institute Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live bi weekly, and then after the show, you can find us on ihi.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and also IHI's Director of Communications. Two of today's guests took to the pages of New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst on April 4th to posit some theories and some remedies for what they deemed, quote, the boring truth. Unquote. I have them to thank as well as a quali- quality leader at a health system who's seen her share of projects and initiatives that are vulnerable to people losing steam. So let's get right to those introductions and dig into this topic with your help. And here's John Gothier to remind you of how to make the most of today's program. John. All right. Thanks, Madge.
1: Uh, just a few things to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the uh, right is the chat window, and if you tune into WWI, before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's where you can ask your questions and comments to our panelists, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people connect connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto your computer and listen to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner that says Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slide, there's a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and we'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI. Please take some time after the program to fill out our quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge.
0: All right. Thanks, John. And we're going to turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about halfway through the show. And we also welcome tweeting during and after the program. And thanks for including the handle at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so others can get engaged in the conversation. All right. To our guests now, joining us by phone, Jennifer Beloff is the Executive Director of Quality in the Department of Quality and Safety. At Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston. She is a registered nurse and family nurse practitioner with 16 years of experience in healthcare quality improvement and patient safety. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for your- having me, Matt. All right. Glad you're here. Here in the studio uh, with me right across the way here, Christina Pagel is a 2016-2017 Harkness Fellow in Health Policy and Practice based between Brigham and Women's Hospital and IHI. Christina has a background in both mathematics and physics. She's interested in using information to help people within the health service make better decisions. Welcome, Christina. Hi. And next to Christine Christina, also in the studio, welcome Dorian Zwart. She is also a 2016-2017 Dutch Harkness Fellow in Healthcare Policy and Practice, also at the Brigham. In the Netherlands, Dorian is an Associate Professor in the Department of General Practice at University Medical Center Utrecht. Welcome, Dorian. Thank you, Mike. And it was kind of an accident that this is so focused on the Brigham, but I, we're really hoping that this, uh, uh, is a a series of things that we're going to talk about that can be applied far and wide. So we're going to start with Christina, and I want John here to show us a screenshot of the article that certainly caught my attention. It's called Wanted. Talented, energetic, creative people to work on difficult, boring problems, no perks. So let's start with what prompted you and Dorian to write this article. What was going on? Thanks.
2: Um, well, just over, just under a year ago, Doreen and I first met over coffee as new fellows, and we were discussing... Just projects. And Doreen is um, a practicing primary care provider and I'm a mathematician. And yet somehow we both kind of said that we were really frustrated with um, what people kind of call the intractable problems and how and how we're difficult we find to get people to um, not take them seriously, but really to engage and how we kind of come up against these problems of things just being boring. And that kind of struck us that although we'd both do really different things, that we both felt very similarly about it. And then talking about how people talk about intractical problems, people use words like the problem of sustainability or getting staff buy-in or staff engagement. And we were kind of like, it's just that it's boring. And why does no one just say it's boring? <laughs> so um, we kind of talked a bit about that and then thinking about, well, what is it that kind of characterizes those kinds of things and we thought it's either that the problem itself just doesn't excite people working in healthcare so things like hey do you want to learn a new IT system or we need to have better nurse rostering Um, or is it that doing it actually trying to solve those problems is boring so like kind of always hand washing infection control Um, and then is there any incentive for doing it are you going to is your boss going to care are you going to be able to publish it is it going to make your peers think wow that's amazing and if and if none of those conditions are kind of met, then we think that's kind of a boring problem that can become an intractable healthcare problem. So we thought, let's just call it boring. And that's why we wrote the. The blog post.
0: Okay. All right. Boring it is. And one of the things, uh, to think about our audience throughout the program is do you think boredom or boring is, is a good phrase for this? It certainly, uh, catches one's attention. So I think in that way, <laughs> it's, it's definitely good. So what sorts of projects seem to fit the bill? Um, you started to give some examples, but talk about that a little more.
2: Um, so I think things that either require kind of constant work, So, a bit like being on a diet, you can't just do it for a week, you have to keep doing it. Or things that are kind of time limited, but just require a lot of in-depth engagement, which isn't your area of expertise. And so my particular example that is a project I've worked on is implementing a new IT system. And here's just kind of a little cartoon (laughs) demonstrating it, but... Say a senior clinician, he might go to a conference, he might go to a colleague's hospital, and he sees a cool system, and he's like, hey, I want that, that's brilliant, I really want it for my patients, persuades the hospital to buy it. And then there's a gap between the decision to have it and then to have it. And that gap is the implementation, and it's not the interesting bit. And it's kind of seen as an IT problem and a techie problem, and that's not my issue, just tell me when it works. And for this particular one, it, it's a monitor by the bedside. And then there are all these questions like, well, where do you want it? How heavy is it? What about plugs? What about do you need a keyboard? Do you do you need a power supply? What's the backup? Do you need a generator? All of these questions that no clinician in their right mind is going to find particularly exciting. And if you don't engage in it, what happens is that um, it gets solved by IT staff. And you end up with a solution that doesn't really work. So, for instance, in this solution, there were times when the monitor ended up working perfectly, but it was behind the nurse's back. So they couldn't see it. Or there was one cases where they were just all installed at about six foot, which happened to be the height of the IT person, but not the height of the average nurse. And they couldn't reach it. So it's it's that kind of issue where if you don't engage, you end up with a system that doesn't work for you. But the actual engaging is, is boring
0: <laughs> the actual engaging you mean to have really gotten staff yes. involved yes people aren't used to at that level yes. and at some level want it to solve it but also yes. would like it to be connected yes. to a better work process okay well if that resonates for you do speak up let me uh, go to uh, dorian now and uh if you feel like offering uh, an example or two yourself and then we'll uh, keep going all right thanks Thank you. Yeah.
3: When I talked with Christina um, over this cup of coffee, then uh, my, my recent, most recent experience was uh, working on care transitions, care transitions, especially from hospital to primary care, from hospital to home. And, and it is a very hard nut to crack. Um, we um, the first publication on this subject was already in 1969, the year I was born, and still we didn't solve it. And loads of interventions are are available, and it's very much recognized as a safety problem in healthcare. Um, but while working on this problem in the Netherlands the last few years, we met a lot of you know skepticism for it is such an old problem, and also, it seemed that the attention span of the frontline clinicians, but maybe especially of the clinical leaders, was quite short. Uh, still, while, while there was a clear evidence that there were no that there were major gaps, so you know when we started the project initially, there was a lot of energy and a lot of uh, goodwill, but um, it appeared very hard to sustain this. And along along the course of the project, there were you know, there, there appeared new problems, more exciting problems or more instantly demanding problems. And then, you know, a problem as, you know, talking about care transitions and how we improve um, communication and how we improve um, uh, sending uh, discharge letters to to um, to primary care physicians uh, or. You know, improve our referral letters. You know, we have talked about this since the 70s, 70s of the last century. So, you know, this old problem doesn't seem that urgent anymore. So, you know, that's why I sensed um, boredom.
0: Uh, it's just boring. People are losing interest. Yeah. Right, exactly. And maybe getting a little bit discouraged um, at at maybe uh, finally arriving at at, at a uh, solution to this kind of thing. Um, So I'm curious uh, who all is in these circles here? (laughs) Over. Yeah. These are fantastic uh,
3: um, images. Images that are made by uh, Christina, actually. (laughs) And. uh, you know, all these are all the the elements that that we have to connect if if and and we have to consider um, if we want to improve uh, the care transition process. Um, and um, so mm-hmm. it's about organization, it's about task, it's about responsibility, it's about communication between people, it's about um, um, you know getting the right technology or electronic systems. And they have you know they also have to connect. Um, you know, and we all know these solutions, but, and then again, I, I, I think I can, um, uh, go back to the, to the, um, uh, description of Christina. Then, you know, really to engage in all these very practical, um, problems you, you meet, that, you know, that's not the first interest. That is not close to the heart of the frontline clinicians, of the healthcare professionals. And, um, um, And, uh, you know, that's boring for them, but you really need them to uh, solve the problem.
0: Uh Is this um, – I certainly have done my share of hosting programs about all kinds of solutions and QI projects. Um, I dare say we never spoke of boredom once, uh, since I've been doing this show on, two, on it's in 2009. And I'm curious if raising this, uh, is controversial, out of bounds. Um, is it, is it helpful? Uh, are you getting any sense that people are glad you're bringing it up or, uh, maybe kind of, uh, tricky? Well, I, I'm not sure if people are glad that I, that I bring up this, this,
3: this word, but um, well, we have noticed that it certainly resonates with, uh, with uh, um, the feeling uh, colleagues have. And, uh, you know, actually, I, I think it's really, you know, it's definitely not done for a clinician to admit that working on a quality improvement project is boring, certainly if that project would, would make a big difference to patient care. So, nonetheless, in my observation, uh, the dialogue on new quality improvement initiatives with clinicians goes either, "Oh yes, absolutely, very important and great idea," and uh, "Oh yes, I support it," but uh, "Oh no, 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 I, I don't have time, and I have a very important uh, meeting, and I'm doing surgery that day, so I'm not the right person to in your committee, etc." Um, or, and sometimes when you know when the problem is 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 um, uh, persistent is in or is really intractable then then you get something like oh no not that again this problem is not new nothing works we tried that already you know gee I thought it, we had sorted it out uh, so kind of you know what a heart sink problem we you know as as especially as, as doctors or primary care physicians um, um, this heart sink we you know um, we sometimes uh, we well let, let's say let's, let's not say that. <laughs> they basically say, you know,
0: uh, you are a physician too <laughs> yeah,
3: my my colleagues uh, say it's it's out of my league, you know, really. I have tried. I have my own very good means to make sure my patients don't suffer from it, but I'm not going to spend my very precious time on that issue.
0: Okay. All right, folks. Uh, As I said, we're speaking truth to improvement. So uh, join us in this discussion as you already are, I believe, on the chat. Okay. We're going to hold it right there. We have other kind of layers to this, but we want to now bring in Jen Biloff from Brigham and Women's who heads up quality there and uh, I uh, really brought Jen in by first asking her um, whether or not this uh, this article and the issues that it's raising resonated so um, I guess I'll start there uh, and then we can talk about what uh, the Brigham is doing uh, maybe to address some aspects of this thanks Jen
4: sure thank you Matt So I have to admit what I'm hearing from Christina and Dorian is all too familiar in in our line of work. You know, the frustration that I'm hearing uh, is real for quality improvement executives like me, my team, and the frontline staff, quite honestly, that are working within such complex health systems that are often just not designed for quick implementations. Of real sort of necessary, um, improvements in the quality and safety of patient care. And I'd also like to acknowledge that sometimes quality improvement work can be boring. Uh, hopefully, you know, the, the higher ups than me aren't, you know, hearing that statement and getting worried here at the Brigham. But, you know, sometimes quality improvement projects, you know, in our shop come in the form of literally improving nursing and or provider documentation and not necessarily the actual care that's being provided to patients you know, we're often providing feedback to providers, you know, doctors um, that were basically saying, you know, we need you to explicitly document why you're not ordering like a particular medication, for example, when we know as nurses doing this work that, you know, the reason that they didn't order that particular medication was because it was contraindicated. But without, you know, explicit documentation, really in the world of quality measurement today, we can't really assume that as fact. And so we have to really, as as the authors mentioned, collaborate really with the frontline staff. Um and, and some of that becomes very boring. It's really looking at how are they documenting in their provider notes? How do we enhance the electronic medical record? You know, and this is probably not the things that they dreamed about when they went to medical school, you know. Um, and I think, you know, what really resonated from their article was, you know, when they say persuading busy staff to come to iterative techno babble meetings. I mean I think That pretty much nails it. You know, I mean, I think sometimes we as the people on the other side of quality improvement are thinking, well, we really, is it really worth, you know, these busy clinicians' time to come talk about sort of this EHR enhancement? You know, I'd actually go so, I actually go so far really when I um, interview potential candidates for roles on my team to actually tell them that not everything they're going to be working on is going to be exciting. It's going to shape the future of healthcare quality as we know it. You know, I might actually steal the title of their article, you know, Wanted, Talented, Energetic, Creative People to Work on, you know, Difficult, Boring Problems, No Perks from, you know, My Next Want ad. <laughs> Um, You know, in you know, all seriousness, no, no, you know, however, you know, I do tell them, though, and I mean, I think boring or not, you know, the work that everybody is doing in the quality improvement and safety space really is ensuring that the care that the patient's receiving are high quality and safe. And and here at the Brigham, you know, the institution truly does value any
0: and everyone's contribution. So thank you. Um all right, we're going to uh now we're going to just switch uh now into kind of a solutions uh mode. Uh and hopefully our audience is going to help us with that as well. So Jen talk about this particular surgery-based um improvement thing which you think maybe illustrates ways to overcome uh some of these humps and then we're going to get into what our authors suggested as well.
4: Sure, I'm happy to. So, um, you know, the initiative that Madge is uh, suggesting was something that we embarked upon about a year and a half ago, and it was really when um, CMS retired, so the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, retired what was affectionately referred to as the SCIP measures, the Surgical Care Improvement Project measures. And so, you know, our surgical department really was sort of at a loss. You know, we don't have our quality improvement professionals in our team sort of doing that quality improvement day in, day out. And, and, you know, how were they going to actually start to do quality improvement in their department where we kind of had done it in the past for them? So we basically put together a pilot program. It's called B Squared. Uh, Brigham Surgical Quality Redesign is what that stands for. And really, like any new initiative, we made sure to have engaged executive sponsors, a dedicated program manager to lead the day-to-day operations of the work, and, of course, physician-leads. Within the department to help champion the work and keep us informed of any anticipated or realized barriers, you know, that could lead to either boredom or not being able to successfully implement the project. Our primary goals of the program were to increase the clinician expertise and involvement, really to provide opportunities for professional development and also interdisciplinary teamwork because what we find is that when we can provide sort of that bridge, um, it can help them create lasting networks within, you know, the Department of Surgery and, for example, anesthesia to help sort of create lasting networks to not have sort of that busy surgeon, as Dorian was saying, say, I'm not, I'm too busy for this. I don't have time and really break down silos where possible. And I think, you know, most importantly, we wanted to provide quality improvement infrastructure, uh, both in the form of resources, people to help, you know, support this work as well as, um, you know, time, the time that, you know, the team in the form of data collection or some of the things that might seem tedious and boring, or you just don't have the time to actually execute. So that really our perioperative change agents, as we like to call them, you know, could actually implement innovative improvement projects. And then, of course, because, you know, we are a hospital department helping one of the um, departments of surgery, we needed to make sure that the program that we designed was going to be mutually beneficial so that we, you know, make sure that the projects that we solicited were really designed to improve quality, decrease costs, and improve satisfaction. So, in a sense, too, this became almost a redesign for my team, you know, where I said the CMS metrics were being retired. I had two people working on those um, that really had some bandwidth and were able to engage in some of this real clinical quality improvement, as we like to call it. And this actually became a really exciting um, opportunity for those members of my team and actually wound up making it possible for everybody to participate. So, what you're seeing here is really sort of the final culmination of that work. We actually had about 26 proposals submitted um, in in really just a short amount of time, about two months. Um, And we accepted 11 of them based on that criteria that I described uh, before, um, and, and also just our current staffing patterns. Um, and really, uh, we broke the project into two phases, one beginning in October of 2015 and then the second one in March of 2016. And, you know, all in all, I think you can see some of the projects here, and I'm happy to talk about any of them. But, you know, this is a perfect example, I think, of how our department, you know, reached out to another department to basically say, we get that you're busy You know, give us, you know, the things that you would just love to get off the ground, but you just don't have the time or energy or support really from anyone else to kind of engage in that meaningful, exciting um, quality improvement work. Mm -hmm.
0: What part of this would you say maybe was the most vulnerable to things languishing or just might get very, very um, time-consuming uh, in a way. Um, was, was there any piece of this in a sense? I, I get the, the general gist of it, but I'm wondering, were there pieces of this work in any uh, one of these projects where uh, you might have had to intervene or others intervened to try and maybe gin up some of the energy and momentum?
4: Well, of course, you know, with any QI project, none, none of them are really, you know, not going to have that. So, um, I think, you know, you know, Dorian and Christina are talking about our EHR, you know, how that can sort of make or break, um, you know, true quality improvement going quickly. And so we, at the same time, I think we were quite ambitious at the same time as launching this, we actually implemented at the Brigham, um, a new EHR at the, around the same time period. So, Where in the past, many of our projects might have been very quickly implemented, you know, using our older homegrown EHR, you know, we really did have to sort of take a step back. And and a lot of the work that my team did was really working with our EHR vendor um, to really try to, you know, move along some of, you know, the build requests or enhancements that we needed to be able to get some of these projects off the ground. And so I think that was probably one of our, you know, unanticipated hindrances, but, you know we. We certainly were able to move through it. Um, you know, we we tried to take that piece off the provider's plate because, you know, that for sure would be incredibly frustrating and very boring. And so, um, you know, those were some things that we kind of worked through. Um, another one was really some of them were quite ambitious. So the mock crash on docking was one that actually I probably need to remove because it wasn't completed. And it was really trying to, in real time, try to basically do a mock Undocking of um, a robotic um, surgical device and so that one as you can well imagine is still stuck in our IRB and so we weren't really able to kind of move that one along so you know some of these things were unanticipated
0: okay all right good food for thought here all, all of this and I, I know we could spend a couple of hours sort of unpacking uh, all of it uh, but uh, we'll hold it right there and I want to now thanks Jen uh, I'm going to, before we go to chat, and people are asking all kinds of interesting things and comments are are flying in the chat. Let me ask, um, Dorian, uh, and Christina to talk us through the seven Ps. They came up with, uh, seven Ps, and, um, I think those two are very catchy, uh, but they, they mean something. So, uh, take it away. Um, yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> so I think the the first one
3: maybe maybe first oh, before you yeah. you you start um, um clarifying what we thought I I would I I I maybe I would like to stress that you know we are not professors of boring so we did not do any scientific work on this or systematic work on it we only shared our experiences uh, in in QI over a coffee uh, as we mentioned before at the start of um, um and um uh, and we concluded that boredom is a real you know, is really an issue. Um, we both recognized and experienced that QI often is not sexy and not very rewarding in in our working environments, While we still think that it's really important to to do that QI work in healthcare. So so we try to think of of strategy strategies or solutions that we fi- felt might help. Mm-hmm. And. Um, um, so concerning the seven P's, before we go, um, and, and, you know, along the list, our, our question to the audience is, um, do you have experience with these P's or other strategies, strategies to tackle the boredom? And what do you think are the most important P's? That's what we would like to discuss with the audience too. Okay. And, um, well.
2: Yeah, how would you prioritize them? There's another. Yeah, point. how would you prioritize them? And
3: and maybe as a starter, the 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 profess. Um, um, well, you can't solve a problem if you don't acknowledge it. It's it is like you know in a, analogous with addiction. First, you have to acknowledge that there is a problem before you can start solving it. That's what we thought with 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 this first one. And then, I think maybe we're just all addicted to interesting. Yeah. All <laughs> addicted to interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Addicted to, uh, to um, innovative and, and, uh, right. and exciting.
0: Well, What we're doing, I think, on the WHI is we're professing. I mean, we're picking yeah. up on that. thing. Yeah. We're yeah, saying absolutely. we are acknowledging that you two have not been uh, sweating over this research of boredom uh, in QI for years, but you are trying to encircle something. And you think there's something there that needs to be looked at. Uh, and you declared it boring, and it's got some cousin kind of uh, descriptions as well, tedious, uh, perhaps ch- not challenging, not rewarding, other kinds of things. So we're, what we're doing is we're professing. We're saying it's this is worth talking about, so that's good. Now, what else is there?
2: So there's, there's Personalize, which is trying to keep people motivated by reminding them why they're doing it. So it's using real stories from frontline staff about the frustrations that you're trying to solve or situations where what you're trying to do will really impact on patients. Just to kind of, instead of just calling it staff rostering, it's, okay, how can we make sure we have exactly the right number of people? How do we get that working? For, like at one hospital I was at, they spent... 48 hours every single month planning their rostering, which was incredibly inefficient.
0: Planning their
2: rostering. rostering. And it was done by Mm -hmm. senior nurses who absolutely hated it. And it was the worst part of their job. Um, But, you know, so we kind of used that story to try and motivate senior management to say, we really have to solve this problem. You are really alienating your main important staff.
0: So personalizing in this case, which is really trying to get some attention to this yeah. issue about yeah. what's actually happening it's, okay. it's,
3: it's bringing bringing it closer to the hearts of the of the frontline staff which yeah. you know they're the the, the, the uh, the internal motivation is is, is um, captured, I think. So you have to bring but it close to the heart.
0: So you're talking about bringing it to the heart of what staff are feeling as they're going about things, and these are not just patient stories. Of, I, think, I mean, of why also, the work matters.
3: Not only, but yeah. patient stories do very very well. Yes. You know, that was one of the um, um, uh, very attractive things of, of patient safety, also for 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 clinicians that um, um, compared to to only calling something quality, is is looking at you know what, what harm could we cause mm-hmm. yeah, it's, that was also very close to the heart of, uh, of um, uh, frontline staff And again, frontline staff is really needed um, in, in solving these problems. They, they are in the details.
0: Okay, so let's let's kind of roar through these a little bit and then we'll see kind of what else our audience so prioritize.
2: So that is, is literally just acknowledging that it takes time and if you don't give people that time, then they will prioritize the more interesting things to do. Uh-huh. And that's fair enough. So it's it's just allowing someone the space. And and the protect one is quite interesting. It's just saying, if, if you're acknowledging that this is a boring problem, then don't try and do lots of boring things at once, because that is a way to demotivate. So one of my friends, for instance, is currently, her hospital is currently um, implementing an EHR. And she says that the thing that's kept her sane is being able to go to the lab and do some research work. She says, you know, that's my escape, and I think kind of protecting people by letting them do more interesting things as well is really
0: important. Okay. okay. Status praise. So this is it's create status for tackling these problems. Explain that one. What do you mean?
2: Well, it kind of it is. Do the higher ups care enough? Um, I think there comes a point when you get promoted high enough. The, the kind of often the boring problems or the problems you're trying to solve don't affect you. So you care less. So for instance, um, surgeons I work with don't care if they have who, who's rostering the nurses. They just have a nurse and that's all they see. So so there's kind of phrasing status for people to say, no, this matters. It's, a, it's important and to get praise and to say, no, you've done a great job and the organization cares about you. And it sounds like it at the Brigham, that's a major part of, of their strategy. Um, and if it's an academic institution, an academic hospital, it's about um, recognising that as a legitimate, legitimate area of research as well. Like you know, there is this kind of constant conflict between what's QI and what's rigorous research, and and, and perhaps trying to so there, there is status in, in doing this stuff.
0: <laughs> Last one, at least for now, pride, uh, Dorian. It seems like a lot of people are talking about pride, sort of coming up with ways to give people pride, celebrations, uh, you know, uh, even moving things through things quickly to give praise at all different stages of the process. Is, Is that what you're also talking about?
3: Yeah. And and well, it, 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 we 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 try to uh, to connect um, uh, this 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 piece also to the you know to the the piece of, of Don Berwick on on the on a new you know we have to transform healthcare and we have to step into the next era where um, um, you know the moral ethics of what we are doing you know why are we doing what we are doing. Um, um, it, you know, needs more attention and and so be proud to to improve healthcare by taking up a very boring task, but you really will help, um, you know, uh, getting patients better, doing a better job, um, 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 improving
0: our healthcare outcomes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, listen, we have, um, Jen, just before we go to chat, is there anything you want to uh, tack on here. Um, some of your ideas definitely seem to weave in and out of these P's, but anything you want to uh, uh, add um, before we go to chat? Didn't lose, Jen. I Thanks,
4: Matt. Kn- no, I'm here.
3: <laughs> okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. You're not bored. Uh,
4: so, no, I mean, <laughs> I actually, the, the seven P's are what really resonated, and I think, you know, many of us in this line of work you know, can appreciate really all of these P's. And, you know, I think so much of of what we, you know, do in QI is, you know, move these projects through. And I think, you know, for me, like, praise is one of the sort of um, biggest ones. You know, I think if you can, you know, get projects through and implement them, even if you can and you have some that fail, you know, have to recognize the process, you know, um, and so sometimes, you know, process maybe could be a, another P, you know, and just kind of appreciate what that looks like and, and that, you know, some of the parts are going to be a little boring, but, you know, it's it's worth it in the end to make sure. I mean, at the end of this is really the patient, right, another P, um, because, you know, they're here getting this care from us. And, you know, if we do all these things with our providers and our colleagues and our frontline staff, you know, the biggest P that we should care about really
0: is
2: is our patients, so...
0: Okay all right, well, this list could get longer that's good, Jen I appreciate it uh, yeah, we had the,
2: we had one more which was persistence,
0: which seems to have yeah. come out as well okay, yeah. good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, John, just remind people about the chat. Uh, looks like put people got the hang of it already, but just to make sure everyone can participate who wants to. Yeah,
1: of course. Uh, a lot of great questions and comments already, and we'll have the chat available at the archive page over at to IHI.org tomorrow. Uh, but if you have any questions, make sure that they're addressed to all participants in the Send To bar down there at the bottom of the chat. All right, great.
0: All right. Well, a big thank you to our panelists thus far and also to the, uh, all of you who tuned in who have a fair amount to say here about all of it. I want to ask somebody to tell me and maybe tell a few others who don't know about this. What is this reference to the wave? Um, Wave technique. Is that something that's familiar to, uh, shaking heads here? Uh, maybe somebody, Jen, if, if, do you know what wave, the wave technique? Somebody said, I love the wave technique. Rolling wave planning. Well, I just want to make sure we, we all can benefit from it. So if anybody wants mm-hmm. to chat it in. Jen, is that familiar to you? Uh no. Okay. It's the only thing I'm familiar with is that's a baseball game. so right. Um, right. You know, <laughs> Red Sox know, fans I
4: can hypothesize, I think it is, but I you know I probably should um leave it to somebody that could speak more intelligently to
0: it. Okay. All right, great. Okay, so you're on. Whoever brought up Wave, uh, go ahead and see if you can elaborate so we can all benefit from that. Um and I think somebody brought up an interesting point. She's she's a strong advocate bottom up change uh, let the staff have the authority to try new things and see if it works um, so I wonder how um, does that kind of resonate uh, for any of you dorian you're shaking your head yes um, have you seen that kind of uh, be beneficial
3: yes i i I think so um, you know problems that come come bottom up are usually close to the heart of the um, of the staff and um, and if you let them try the had uh, um a solution most of the times that's that's uh, that's also working but then um it should be recognized as a very good try and 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 maybe uh, then the leadership should come in and 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 give more room for um, um, um for for um scaling up
0: aha uh-huh. uh Okay. So you
3: really have to connect the bottom up the bottom and the top okay. I think to, to make make um, uh, improvement sustainable
0: yeah thank you okay i 'm going to just send Christine. you can also see the chat, so feel free um, if you want to chime in so essentially, with rolling wave planning, you set the scope of the project and then break it into smaller chunks and plan the first phase in detail. Um when nearing the end of phase one, begin planning the second. So in some ways, it's sort of breaking it down. Uh, it, this seems to come um, out of, uh, somebody is telling me software, uh, telling us, I mean, software development. You start small and work out problems before going bigger. And there was another thing also um, talking about, sort of part of it is breaking down really large projects uh, so that there's a sort of a Distinct sense um, of the shape and goals, you know, around different uh, stages of it.
2: And I think if you did that kind of approach, then making sure that you make time to really praise and celebrate each little bit yeah. that you finish is really mm-hmm. important. I think someone mentioned that on the chat as well, further up. Um, and and just one more thing that I noticed on the chat was someone saying we should celebrate failure as well and learn from that. And I noticed that we just said frame solving these problems maybe it should be just frame tackling these problems as a moral yeah, and hard yeah, issue yeah, that's um, a good point. because you're right failure teaches you just as much as,
0: as success okay. um, somebody is saying when training about QI uh, remind people of how data uh, weaves throughout everyday lives and sometimes it's data itself which may overwhelm depending on everyone's proficiency in that area um, I'm wondering sometimes if what's you, Christina, I, who uh love uh you know, with your training in mathematics and physics, in some ways that's probably not the thing that will make your eyes glaze over. But I imagine that's an issue for some people. Um yeah. and may who may not be schooled up enough uh in what they're even looking at.
2: Yeah, it it can be quite intimidating to people who've not looked at data in a certain way for a long time. Um Particularly like in QI when you're doing, say, run charts, looking at data over time is often quite different to say looking at a set of vital statistics or, or planning. Like, pe- people are really good at looking at numbers, I've noticed, in hospitals, patient numbers, of, um, prescriptions, all that stuff. But looking at change over time is less, uh, less familiar, I've noticed that, with frontline staff and, and encouraging people that it really does
0: give you important information. I want to mention that people have added a few more P's. People, partners, personalize, although that would personalize, I'm sorry, was up there. Um, Jen, I, am wondering if I can circle back to you around one question. How do you overcome the fear of measurements? That's where I lose people. Um, somebody is, is writing in. Is that something you've dealt with?
4: Yeah, you know, I think that was kind of the impetus, really, uh, that sort of fear of, I think most people have kind of come up with good ideas, and and if they're kind of embedded within a system, generally speaking, know how to kind of at least navigate the sort of complex health system, but I think when it comes to actually either one coming up with metrics that might sort of establish whether or not the project was successful, um, I think that sometimes is daunting, you know. How do I even figure out? You know, maybe I'm maybe my idea is actually it's not even something we need to improve, you know. And I think you know that's why when we were trying to think sort of outside of the box in that surgical arena with with the B squared program, is that is pretty much what we we kind of took off the plate really of the providers. I mean, certainly it was on their plate, but we really partnered with them to try to define those metrics in such a way that one, they were measurable. That you know, my team when possible helps them collect the data. And in ways, you know, where they didn't need to write novels about what they were reading in the clinical record, you know, really just, you know, honing in and sort of those key areas. And then also metrics that, you know, could be improved. Uh, and so, yeah, totally 100 um, percent agree with, with, that, um, with that person's statement that that is daunting measurement. And I think that's kind of how we overcame it. I mean, certainly, we don't have the secret sauce, you know. We still we still struggle a little bit on our team, and I think our providers at the Brigham, you know, this isn't um, you know the end all be all solution, but you know that was one way that we kind of accomplished that.
0: Okay, thank you. I do see. Go ahead, Dory.
3: Well, it is how Jen how Jen um, describes the, they. She found a solution in a way that she partnered in you know with qi professionals um um uh, that solve this problem of of um of uh, being scared of all the numbers and um i think this partnership is very important and and it has a protective so that's one of the pieces it had a pro- has a protective effect on on the people who are working on the uh, uh, qi um, uh, improvement projects you know, to bring in the right set of professionals to bring it to an end. I think
0: that's a very good priority. Great. Thank you. No, that's good. Here's one, a kind of negative P, um, if if I dare call it that, and this uh, person is writing in pressure, pressure from leadership to uh, get results and um, nothing less than good results. Christina, thoughts on that?
2: I mean, I saw that comment too, and I immediately <laughs> recognised it. Um, I think maybe the, uh, the counterweight to that is, is profit or payoff, in, um, and ultimately improvement should make you more profitable and your patients better. That's that's the goal, isn't it? Why we're we trying to do it, and trying to get the message across to leadership that. Uh, Taking more time will give you a better outcome.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what's
3: that? Don't paralyze. Leadership, don't <laughs> paralyze them. your project, your, your improvement project team. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, Jen, if pressure, is This is it's kind of the opposite of disengaged leaders or no-time leaders or clinicians or not paying attention. This is a slightly different way, uh, it may, maybe also, though, observing it all from afar. Uh, thoughts about that?
4: You know, Matt, I mean, pressure, I think, if, that that's real um, i think all of us feel pressure in every job not just um, you know in healthcare and you know I, I think something that we're sort of starting to address at the brigham in terms of pressure you know because not only is it all the metrics coming at us and and all the very sort of um, you know we need to increase volume or we need to do this or that you know it's really, you know, you know, that might be to us as the quality improvement professionals getting pressure to kind of improve things and, you know, work faster and get things implemented. But at the same time, we have to consider our frontline staff. I mean, they're, they're the ones, that, you know, right at the bedside with the patient, the families, and then they're getting pressure, you know, from us really to try to help improve some of these. Um, these measures that we have, or their documentation, as I provided in another example. and you know, the pressure is real. and I think one thing that we're starting to really think through at the Brigham is is trying to kind of eliminate some of those pressures by really focusing on just um, a handful, twenty or less real true strategies that we want to basically improve for this year. And while there's, you know, you know, hundreds of others that, you know, we have to for in a value based purchasing environment or any of these other sort of quality environments, you know, it's something that we're sort of having to say, these are the 20 things you're going to focus on this year and we're going to kind of not bother you about these other things. And, and we might have to take a hit, you know, in some of our value based contracts as a result of that, but you know, we have to, you can't underestimate or over, you know, pressure is real and we don't want our, our busy frontline providers that are providing that the actual uh, essential care to our, our patients to really, um, suffer a burnout. So, great
0: pressure. I 100% agree with that. Okay, thank you. Another P is could be psychological safety, uh, yeah. which, uh, kind of helps with the culture issue. <laughs> and then somebody, uh, may win the prize today on the chat for coming up with probal That's amazing. Okay, so <laughs> we are merging problem with opportunity. Uh, probability and, um, (laughs) to say we're taking out the, some of the weight and negativity of problem and kind of, uh, putting in the opportunity in that. So, uh, thank you. I'm sorry. My glasses are, are a little, uh, smudged here and I can't see who wrote that, but thank you very much, uh, for, for that opportunity, um, I want to just ask a question quickly with, and I wonder how Jen sees this in all of you, which is, you know, X number of years into QI and trying to work hard and really make headway on a lot of safety issues. Granted, there's a lot of turnover in staff, so you can't say the same staff have been working on the same problem. Uh, but there's both the question of how many more things people are working on. And also um, that things do have to get incrementally better, you know, that there aren't a lot of quick fixes. And I wonder, is this something that either people have to learn anew or grappling with or even frustration that maybe we should be further along and that that also increases a sort of sense of frustration as much as boredom or anything else?
2: I think there is perhaps an issue that doctors like to fix stuff, people. Um, and as you say, there's a lot of the QI issues that we tackle aren't quick fixes. And there isn't just one fix, you have to keep doing it. Um, and I for me one of the unique things about healthcare and these boring problems is you get these boring problems in all kinds of fields, but healthcare just is more interesting than a lot of things to me. And everybody is busy doing important, interesting work. So how do you persuade them that you know we have the seven Ps or the 20 Ps by now? But how do you keep people motivated to keep trying to make time for the for the more boring stuff?
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Very good, Dorian.
3: Yeah, probably there there comes pers- persistence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here
0: we go. <laughs> and uh,
3: yeah, and and I well reading about this. This uh, subject, I stumbled into into a whole. um, There's a whole bunch of literature on maintenance. Maintenance. And and, well, maybe that's the other side of the spectrum. You have maintenance. You have. uh, quality improvement, so change, and on the other side you have innovation, and 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 innovation is, you know, that's the everybody everybody wants to innovate. That's the sexy, very rewarding uh, part that um, well you can build your career on. So probably we we are well inno- <laughs> innovation addicted, uh, and uh, but if we really want to um, to to you know to do the right thing. Then um, we also should look at maintenance, and I... I i am absolutely not the first one <laughs> who recognized that because there's you know again uh, written a lot about that but the qi improvement is in the middle of this and it needs a lot of persistence but it also needs maintenance of you know all very small solutions of the incremental steps that have been taken and um, you know to, to 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 keep on improving
0: mm-hmm. sounds good john uh stuff coming up here that uh, might Relate? <laughs> yeah,
3: stuff coming
1: up that absolutely does relate. Uh, I think if you've been listening to today's program, you're uh, probably always looking for ways to make your QI projects a little bit better, and uh, that's why we're excited to let you know about the Improvement Coach Professional Development Program. It's a it's a 12-week journey that expands and builds on your quality improvement knowledge so you can coach and facilitate improvement teams and strategies throughout your organization. The Improvement Coach Program is a 12-week program. It's bookended by two immersive learning sessions here at the IHI. The next program starts on September 18th, and it's a perfect for staff with a 5 foundation, and quality improvement concepts, uh, methods, and tools. Um, There's going to be an info call. It's going to be on Tuesday, June 27th. Um, You can find out more about everything at IHI.org slash patient safety exec. It's actually patient safety exec, but if you take a look at that slide there, you can see um, how we've abbreviated the URL. Um, Or you can just uh, email info at at IHI.org, and they'll send some more uh, information your way.
0: All right. Thanks, John. And I want to thank our panelists as well. And I think what we're going to do now is maybe kind of go around the horn for some final thoughts. I also want to really uh, thank the audience for sort of exploring uh, this topic with us. Uh, Sometimes on WIHI we decide, all right, let's just jump in. We're, we're exploring something. It's kind of new and novel uh, in a way. It's building on a lot of knowledge that a lot of people have who are all part of this discussion and seeing if we might be able to uh, give things kind of a different lens and a different uh, meaning. So um, sometimes we're here and we're saying, oh, here's what happened at X organization or Y organization, and it works, and you can try that too. Um, and we're not entirely sure. Uh, but we're hoping that this opens up some ideas. I think the audience has been nothing short of creative with additional P's and, and thoughts. So, um, my, uh, hat goes off, uh, to our panelists, another P and, um, our, our audience. So, Jen, let me start with you. Uh, as you, I mean, it's, it, you're the head of, course quality so it's never ending um, I'm just curious even taking part in this discussion I'm sure this is stuff you think about a lot but I'm wondering uh, does it give you any sort of new ideas or new perspective um, even as you go forward thanks
4: you know imagine me, it totally does um, yeah Uh, this is actually a sort of daily conversation that I even have just amongst my team. Like I said, it's a true statement. When I'm interviewing, I I do say, you know, not everything's going to be super exciting, you know, because a lot of people leave the bedside as nurses and come into quality improvement. And, and, you know, your thought is I'm going to, you know, I can only sort of shape the lives of the patients that I'm taking care of on a daily basis. And then quality improvement in my mind is that ability to sort of transcend that and be able to sort of share that, Experience that you've you know gained from that frontline um, provider experience, and then really sort of implement it on a larger scale. But at the same time, that's very daunting. You know, you have to learn a whole new skill set, and sometimes the work is very tedious, tedious um, in terms of data collection and things like that. But you know, I think, like I said before, the one thing that you know keeps me sort of coming to work every day with a smile on my face and you know with my cheerleader pom poms, you know, saying is you know. At the end of, you know, everything that we're doing, even though it might seem so far removed from a patient in some of these body improvement, um, you know, either chart reviews or, um, improvement projects that we're engaged in, the ones that, you know, Dorian and Christina might say might be a little boring are, you know, is that patient and their family. And I think if we keep that in mind, that's the, the, like I said, the big P, um, you know, I think it, it truly makes this work, um, worthwhile and, um, and, you know, this, process today, another P, has really, um, you know, shaped, you know, the thinking that it's, I'm, I'm happy that we sort of did this pilot project. Um, and, you know, and you know, I'm hoping to engage um, this on a larger scale with our uh, community here at the Brigham.
0: All right. Thank you so much, uh, Jennifer Bilof, uh, uh head of quality over at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Christina. Thoughts about uh, have you moved on to other topics, <laughs> you're still swimming in this one. <laughs> I
2: mean, I th- as part of my yeah. ongoing yeah remit, I think. Um, I think for me, having kind of spoken to Doreen about this a lot and writing that blog and also kind of today, for me, what I'm going to do is future QI projects or any project really, sit down and go, okay, well, what bits of this are boring? And then really try and think about how can we mitigate that using the seven P's and all the other P's and other people's ideas is, is can we plan to help reduce the impact of the boring on this project? Okay. So I think that's, that's it for me.
0: That's good. So anticipating. Yeah. And almost working at, at, at it from a predictive preventive um, notion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dorian.
3: Yeah, I've been thinking, um, uh, um, you know, as a, as a, a primary care physician, but also working as an academic and working in edu- medical education. I think we as, as, as medical doctors should learn that being a good doctor is not only about fixing patients or patients' problems, but it's also about fixing the healthcare delivery system. Um, and, um, we should bring that closer to the hearts. Of medical doctors, and you know, and and I think um, the seven piece may help with um, with with making it more rewarding to
0: do that. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Dorian Zwart, uh, Christina Pagel, and Jennifer Beloff, our wonderful panel, and you, our terrific audience. Uh, Let me just underscore every time we see a sudden rush uh, on chat for a resource and people saying, yes, send it to me, send it to me, send it to me, I promise you we'll capture it in our own resource document and get it posted to the archive page. So never fear about that. Again, thanks to all of you. Next up, on WIHI on June 29th. Uh, Speaking of failure, in a sense, we're going to be talking about how to fail forward on the road to population health. So we're going to look hard at that concept at the community level with the help of Dr. Shoma Stout and others who've been involved in a very, very interesting initiative known as SCALE. So I hope you'll tune in for that. Again, a reminder, you can download the chat and any slides we use. You'll be asked to do that when you log off. It also asks if you be willing to fill out a brief survey and we sure hope you will because it helps us see what worked for you today and how we could continue to make WIHI better and as John was saying earlier you can check out the archive pages uh, for this show as of tomorrow morning we'll have all the elements and don't forget and tell your friends and colleagues they can find this program and all of our archive shows on iTunes and you can subscribe uh, to Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Any questions whatsoever? Info at IHI.org. And then we've got a great group of people who help make WIHI possible. And they include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Haley Ladd, Christine Leong, Joanna Carmona, Jameson Case, Stephanie Gary Garfunkel, and Val Weber. So as I say, it's my privilege, another P, to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care, probably the most important P of all. Uh, so for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Thanks for your participation. Good day, everyone.